American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Lee of Pop Evil over Zoom video. Lee talks about being born and raised uh, just outside of... Lee talks about how he's born in actually Canada. Uh, he said he lived there for like two weeks and then he moved to Michigan. That's where the... born. Uh, Lee talks about how he was actually born in Canada. He said he lived there, he's like, I don't know, for like two weeks or something before his family moved to Michigan. Uh, he talks about forming the band, running songs by his his older brother at the time, who was his biggest critic, but ended up uh, kind of getting on board early on, helping him start his first uh, little independent label, getting the first record off the ground. He talks about getting signed to a major label, ripping up the contract on stage. And announcing that they are going with E1 Music. They've been signed to them ever since. He talks about the highs and the lows of the band. The success of the band. He's got a ton of amazing knowledge for uh, aspiring artists in there. And he also tells us a lot about his new record. Which is called Versatile. It would be rad if you took a look at our past interviews. That are up on our YouTube channel and Facebook page. At Bringing It Backwards. If you subscribe that would be cool. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. At Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Pop Evil. Yeah, yeah. So this is all about you, your journey in music, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. <laughs> right on. So uh, I did I did see um, that the band formed in in Michigan. Are you originally from Michigan? I am. I am. Yeah. Started uh, in the early days, you know, kind of on the Great Lakes, man. So that's kind of the old stuff around. Right on. Born in, so born and raised there. Uh, born in Canada, but I mean, I think I was just born there. I think I lived there for like two weeks and we moved to Michigan. And <laughs> so pretty much almost born and raised, right? There you go. Right on. There you go. But originally born in Canada, which is interesting because you're signed to E1, which is uh, a Canadian label, right? For sure. For sure. Super cool. That is cool. Um, well, so how did you get into music originally? Well, you know, I, I get that asked a lot. I think, you know, uh, one of the weird, uh, w one of the coolest questions I think I've asked that kind of made me think about it was, uh, is Michigan an influence on your writing and your music? And I, and I think, I think that is. So getting back to your question, I, I think just growing up in Michigan, uh, again, very blue collar, very grassroots, uh, you know, get, learn how to play some instruments in your parents' garage and go take on the world kind of mentality here. Mm -hmm. Still people to this day, the test market, you know, obviously Serial, Serial City here in Battle Creek, Michigan. It, it just kind of like uh, everything was coming here, music related. Everything was based around, obviously it's cold for, for most of the year. So, you know, we were inside watching concerts. So I think obviously too, the Kid Rock uh, Eminem era was really kicking off in the early days when we were really getting started and chasing it. So I think it was definitely a, a big influence on, you know, just me wanting to do this and, you know, right around, what do you think, mid, early to mid-90s was when I was really starting to think that, you know, maybe I want to pursue this full-time. So d definitely uh, Michigan played a big role. That's awesome. And, and you're, you, you just, you sing in the band, but do you play, what was the first instrument you learned how to play, or do you play an instrument? Yeah, no, I played, the first instrument I learned how to play was the violin, way back in the, you know, from my mom's Canadian, obviously, so she was just, grew up on the fiddle, her, her my grandma. My grandpa was, was big into the fiddle, so she was like, you got to play the fiddle for me. And obviously, once I got into that, I realized that, you know, obviously, I wasn't really into classical music the same way I was the modern music. And sure. that's that gonna quickly change and to learn how to play the guitar and then the drums, the bass and enough to be able to kind of understand what it was like and what I needed to put a band together. 
Um, you know, if the, the early records, if I didn't have a bass player or drummer, you know, I, I'd do it or I'd, uh, I wasn't necessarily a great drummer, but I, enough to understand how to write and create a pocket, and create a loop sure. where I could, uh, you know, write and, and uh, my main love, which was the melody and, and the lyrics. That's amazing. So, wow. So, so violin was your first instrument where does, that was because your mom, but how old were you when you picked that up? Did you continue it through like, you know, grade school and high school or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I mean, I picked it up real early. I mean, I was probably five, you know, in my early days. Uh, I don't know exactly what age, but then I did it all the way up until I think 10th, gr- 10th grade. You know, then uh, then sports took over. You know, orchestra wasn't necessarily the hippest thing at my school. So I, I, I shifted to choir, to be honest. I was one of the, it was, again, I went to a smaller school. So our choir was all girls. So right around my 10th, 10th grade, I was like, this is ridiculous. I want to sing. I'm going to join this choir. And a couple of my buddies joined. So us three guys. So, you know, then I really started focusing on, you know, uh, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, just those kind of parts to the choir where my voice was going to find its niche, understanding melody and choruses. Always been a big, strong, like believer and uh, writer in choruses, something that could get my grandma to groove and something that could get my best friend to groove. You know, I was, was admired by, you know, uh, uh, songs that could really bring people together and uh, have them sing when they really, those people didn't look alike. Maybe they had different ethnicities. I'm mixed ethnicity myself. So mm-hmm. I always really love seeing different cultures come together to sing for four minutes that one song or that one chorus. Uh, that always really uh, inspired me and really affected me in my, in my youth. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really amazing. When did you start writing your first songs? Was it around the same time? Yeah, yeah, probably my junior year in high school. You know, er, again, early, er, early, early to mid '90s. You know, I really it started with I just wanted to hear myself recorded. You know, I think that again, very Michigan ass blue collar ass. I didn't, I didn't really care about making it big. I just wanted to record my own album for my buddies. You know, impress my buddies, impress my family. Mm-hmm. You know, and just have something. Cool just kind of live that dream. I mean, I think anyone who grew up in the CD era, you know, mm. if you were a musician, dreamed about having your original songs on a CD, something tangible you could hold, play in your car. You know, obviously it was in the days chasing girls, trying to find, you know, your identity with with a partner and, you know, all that. And certainly that was an influence in the early days. And then, uh, and then once I did that, it led to, okay, these songs need to be better. You know, I mean, my brother was always my biggest critic and he always hated it everything I did early on. So always trying to impress him to get him something where he was like, Oh, all right, that's, that's dope. You know, that's fire. Uh-huh. You know, so it's always real hard. He was a younger brother. So he was always very tough on me. He always wanted it to be great. And you know, then it led to us starting our own record label, him and I together, and he's a lawyer. So he was going to be the lawyer and manager and, and then kind of snowballed into what it is. And, you know, of course, 10, I think it took about 10 or 15 years later from that, mm-hmm. but then, you know, we met our manager now and, and it's always kind of like progressions, right? I mean, I, it's hard to say one thing really was the case of where we were able to be where we're at. You know, it was always like hard work led to that thing that led to the other thing mm-hmm. that led to that next thing. And then you just keep growing. And then what I had no idea was, is that, you know, rock and roll was and metal was, on the backswing as far as pop secular music was hence the name pop evil right. you know there was the two names two two words that, that people hate the most right evil and pop <laughs> so you know pop music was something that any rock or metal fan doesn't want to be associated with so that was kind of like my mission statement even though some people our name is love and hated by fans some people love it some people hate it which is great you know i wanted i want a name that created reaction it, it created a feeling it wasn't just something safe you know sure dogging out other band names you know i just didn't want something that 
that wasn't visually stimulating. It, it gave me a purpose to get up at night. You know, it's so hard to break and make it in Western Michigan. You know, we were three hours from Detroit, so mm-hmm. we weren't even in the map of Michigan. So having a name like that reminded me why I got up in the morning, why I had to chase it. And, and you know, I, I wasn't able to work normal jobs like my friends were because I, I had to do all the, I was a businessman first, you know, kind of a, you know, I, I was a communications major, but my, my, uh, my minors were all in business. So I wanted to understand what, what record labels were doing to break artists. And instead of me always trying to focus and spend money on 10 songs, which is what my heart desired. Cause I wanted more, right. The reality in a small business in any kind of a label, you push one song, one song is the time you put the money in the song in the production and the engineering. And then of course you mix and master it. Then you shoot the video and you focus on that one song. People sure. are busy. They don't have time for 10 songs of pop evil to a band they've never heard, you know, when they have all this other competition, they want to, they, if, if they're lucky to turn their heads for one song, then you got them. You got to focus on that. So that was kind of my mentality early, which I really think spearheaded a lot of success early on and led to the other. Cause I was just focused on understanding that I wasn't mad that radio stations weren't playing it, or I wasn't mad that my friends weren't digging it or people weren't really all coming to the band at once. I knew it was going to be a grind. And I think that that grind really, really, uh, led to some great uh, work ethic for me early on to understand once we did get signed that I knew this was going to be a long haul. The only way now to really win people over is on stage and live. And we knew that we were whatever great songs we write on radio or on, on now, of course, on streaming outlets, people got to see you live. That's when people really, and having toured now with such legendary bands like Judas Priest, Cheap Trick, Poison, the list goes on. They all say the same thing to me. Like you have to create longevity. You have to keep your mind healthy, your body healthy, your voice healthy, and you have to be willing to build a fan base with people that can have families with you. Like it's this, it's this kind of, these kind of songs, these timeless songs people grow up with. Right. And then when they have mm-hmm. kids, they have families, they raise their kids on it, just like my dad did. You know, you take, Skinner, do you take even those bands? She was priest, you know, cheap trick poison. I mean, those were all bands that I grew up with that my mom and dad showed me, you know, and so being able to them one day and show my kids or, or whatever it is and pass it on, I think that's one of the most unique things about rock and metal. It's it's those kind of bands, this genre is created timeless, timeless, timeless artists. So, you know, understanding to just wait your turn, run your race. And, and know that you can't be in it for the wrong reasons. I mean, this isn't a business to go get rich anymore. People always are like, what stories and what, what, what crazy stories have you? Well, the crazy story is I still go to Walmart to still eat bologna sandwiches. I mean, I don't know. I still have to pay. I still make minimum wage, you know, because rock and roll is the new minimum wage of the, of the music business. Sure. You know, there is, no, there is no one big hit. And we've had tons of, we've had lots of several number one hits. That doesn't mean anything. You know, we've had tons of several, several number ones. If it, this would have been 20, 30 years ago, we'd be playing arenas and everyone around the world would know you. But now, number one records don't necessarily mean success. It still means more work, more grind, you know. And if anything, it means more responsibility because now people are coming, they're paying attention to you and you have to pay attention to your voice. They want to come hear you on stage sound good. They don't care that you're going to just be energetic and energized. You know, they, they, they want... They want to hear the music. The music now, what's our 20th year, you know, since, mm-hmm. since I mean, I think we signed though in 07, so not quite 20 years there. But but as far as, you know, we've been around, we've been around a good amount of time where these songs that our back catalog has become a part of people's lives. And there's a responsibility I certainly wear now in my life to uh, to make a difference, you know, one fan at a time, one show at a time to create some kind of positivity, especially all the craziness in the world today. And I'll just focus on COVID as the main thing. Like mm-hmm. we all are faced with, change and, and things that aren't normal things that we don't get to do that we love that man if we can put a smile on someone's face musically or, or make it like 
wow, I feel exactly like that guy, you know, like that, that's, that's important to me now more than it ever has been. You know, I think in the, the early days, you know, it was certainly fun and exciting, but now it's about leaving your mark and, and uh, trying, trying to help, you know, I mean, I feel like we're those, we're the doctors when doctors can't say or do the right things for you. We're, we're, we're the parents when parents and aren't necessarily there for you, you know, and, 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 and uh, uh, you think about all the times when we've been at our lowest, the one thing that certainly helped me the most is music and to be able to be a part of that now on the other end and to give back. And, and, and help people hopefully in a positive way is something that I definitely uh, very hold highly. I try not to take it for granted and I try to just get out there and try to stay positive and, uh, you know, give everything I got when I can and then let the cards fall where they go. So that's kind of my short but long version of to where we are now. Sure, sure. Well, well I want to back up a little bit. What, what fascinated me about what you said earlier was that you guys would focus on one song and, you know, putting the production into that one song and then doing the video and, and making sure that one song was great and, and ready to go. And I feel like that's, I mean, doing that way, you know, 20 years ago, that's kind of the, the formula now, right? I mean, with streaming and everything else, like bands aren't really coming out and being like, unless you're established, I mean, more like you guys, but if you're a new band, you aren't coming out and being like, here's a full body of work. It's like, here's this single and see, test the waters a little bit or release a few singles before there's even like an EP. Absolutely right. I mean, it, it, to me, it, it doesn't matter about back then or now. It, it needs to be done from a finance perspective, what the band is capable of doing. You know, you don't want to take your band in debt. And the more you can understand that early in your career, the, the more you can relate to it when you get any success, because it doesn't matter at any level, you don't want to, you want, you want to stay in the green, right. As a business, as a touring entity, because basically any kind of recording artist means you have to be a touring artist as well, because there's nobody that drops music and doesn't tour. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Only the maybe elite of the elite can do that or play one show a year and then make their bazillions and call it a day, you know, but that's certainly not the rock genre and the rock artists. You have to literally put the music out on tour. So if you're going to do that and you just recorded 10 songs, and you're a new band, it might be more beneficial to record two or three, uh, maybe two, but the acoustic version of that, uh, that, that single you're pushing as well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you get out there, just people, people are, are, they have so much thrown in their face now than they ever have as far as our smartphones and what we can watch. I mean, it's funny, you know, people were asking me the other day, you know, what do you watch now? And I'm like, I have all these smart TVs. All I watch is YouTube. So I don't <laughs> even watch TV. I'm like, Unless it's a sporting game, you know, I'm a big sports guy, but like, other than that, I watch YouTube and I can just search anything I want and it's up there. So it's yeah. like, you know, I was watching guys last night and I'm like, who are these guys? And how do they, oh man, they have like 14 million views. I'm like, gosh, these guys are creating their own celebrity, their own star, like as TV hosts, just talks as podcast hosts, you know, and, and, and getting their the recognition and building a fan base, just like musicians can now. You don't need full album to create energy. You can create that one single. Maybe you're, you're shoot music video for it with your buddy, very affordably. Next thing you know, you, you, you know your, your, your video goes viral. And, and then now record labels are looking at that rather than, oh, you have 10 songs and you just, you know, you got sold out shows in your home area. They don't necessarily care about that as much as they see the streaming numbers and they see your, 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 your basically connection with an audience online. So it's, it's certainly changed. But the, but the philosophy to me is still the same. You push one song. You push something great. You know, you think about even that guy that did that, uh, that ocean spray thing that went huge and viral with, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac song, you know, when they were, when he was doing that on a skateboard and drinking his ocean spray oh, yeah, as yeah, great yeah. as he is and as great, as big as that went, it certainly blew up his other videos. Everyone goes back to that one video that started it all. So if you have something that connects, 
ride the wave on it, get as much, squeeze as much juice as you can out of it, and then go spend the money on maybe another song, you know, so you don't have, I would say if you have X amount of budget for an album, maybe it just should rethink how you shape and spend that money to fulfill whatever your goals are and your objectives are. And that's a big thing for me with my band is trying to sit down before we start projects and figuring out what our object, what our goals, where are we going? Mm-hmm. So we don't figure out where we're going. Then we're just putting stuff out there. And, and, and then we, that's when arguments and, and uh, you know, bad energy kind of comes in. So the more we stay focused on what we're trying to do and, and personally, right. I mean, at the end of the day, of course we're competitive and we want to win and succeed just, just like the next band does. But the reality is, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, a hundred years from now, they're not going to care about any of that stuff. They're just going to care about the legacy leave the songs that are still going. So for us, it's always been trying to write those timeless songs that make a difference for us now. Cause those same frustrations, the same kind of, those, those, those elements that make life hard are still going to make life hard for people, you know, decades from now. So we try to just try to write those positive messages, a song like now that's happens to be our single right now, that's really doing well is breathe again. Uh, people that feel suffocated now, there's going to be people that feel su- suffocated then. So, you know, writing these songs that can hopefully make a difference. And with the language that is guitars, um, you know, uh, heavy drum tones, different pockets that the drum and melody create, uh, people that, that can understand the language of rock and metal can relate to those things. And hopefully they can, you know, as the years go on. So that's kind of, again, where my head's at as far as putting out albums and songs and singles, but you're right. This is very much a singles based business. Now uh-huh. the albums are getting rarer and rare for sure. 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 I mean, I, I want to back up still a little bit. Um, I want to talk to you about, I know that you, there was a, you know, I want, I, I'm really uh, actually curious about the whole record deal on stage and ripping it, but I want to know about getting signed to Universal Music. That must have been like a big moment for you and you guys, like at the time. I mean, especially when you signed the years that you guys got signed, like that was still when bands were being developed and labels were seeking out, you know, artists instead of like, oh, you have 10 million streams. Let me call you up and, and see what you're up to. I mean, being yeah. found, like, tell me about those moments huge it was huge especially coming from a small town like you know always being like again the the, the second to our our band our, our buddies and bands in detroit you know it was always it was a big moment like we were we were now amongst the big boys you know but what we learned quick was the reality check that labels love you today hate you tomorrow they don't care you know it's sure. business. so we, we we quickly found ourselves in, in a in an awkward situation there and and you know unfortunately we we, we wanted to get out which mm-hmm. you know we had the big we had the big label logo on the back of the uh, album we said and i was like that was good enough now it's time to move on you know so <laughs> so we moved up we were in a position where e1 who's our label now came in otherwise we were in the position to be buried you know it was a very very scary time you know and uh that's another thing that that most fans don't realize it has nothing to do with your talent or ability or the way you write music if you get yourself in a rough spot you know you can find yourself trapped and there's nothing you can do you know they own your masters they own your stuff and that's it you know so unless you have somebody come out and bail you out and that person has to have some kind of money luckily for us you know we had we have phenomenal managing management team and you know they, they got it to e1 and e1 believed in us and, and they basically bought us out you know which was huge i mean but it took several years i mean because of that we weren't able to get to europe you know we get a lot of that people now you know as we're starting to get more success overseas and around the world a lot of those fans are like, wow, what took you so long? And I'm like, oh, you know, it just, just it's hard to explain to them that yeah, we didn't have <laughs> capital. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't have the extra capital to spend, you know? So we were in debt when kind of before we started, you know, once we got with E1, we were in debt, like so big that any money we would have done to try to break the band in other markets, other countries, just, just 
just was a very daunting task. And, and unfortunately we had to wait till, you know, the band had some success. And then we, we were fortunate enough that the, 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 every album got bigger at that point. You know, I think war of angels was the next album and mm-hmm. that one, Oh no, that was the album. And then the that next was the album, album that which you, was, yeah, that you guys signed right. with. Right. Yeah. Yep. That was it. And then, uh, that, that didn't end up coming out. Universal came out at E1. And then, uh, of course, our first real record with E1 was was Onyx, and that you know three number ones, and that that album really connected, blew up for us, kind of put us on the map. And then, uh, you know, every album stayed steady since then. I mean, obviously, album sales since the Onyx album have totally changed, right? It totally has gone to streaming every more every album, every every more years that add on uh-huh. uh, the uh, called the uh, the streaming things kind of taken you know, album sales a little different, so. You know, again, man, we feel we feel very blessed to be able to do it. We're doing six albums now. It's crazy to think, you know, that small band from Michigan that everyone said had no chance. You know, we're still we're still still beating. You know, there's still a pulse. Sure. We're still continued music that connects. And you know, you got you got to prove it. You got to wait your time. And sometimes, you know, I mean, it takes years. It takes you know, with Architects on their ninth album too, and they're still getting bigger. You know, what I mean, it's like, there's so many bands that I can use examples of that it just it doesn't happen on your first and second album for every band, you know, and, and even if it does, you still have to stay relevant. You're only as good. I love that saying. You're only as good as your last song. You're only as good as your last uh, album. So, you know, there's always, there's always a pressure that comes with your fan base that wants you to be better, but at the same time, wants you to stay the same. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a weird conundrum that you're <laughs> constantly battling. You know, and, uh, As an artist, as a human being, you want to better your last records. You want to be different. We are always thinking about trying to better our live show. How do we put more songs in the live show that can give you those peaks and valley moments? Like we're not, we're not the band. We're not the kind of people that want to play you the same song 10 times. Like if you want trenches, we already have trenches in our set list. Let's play something different, you know? So that does, but that doesn't mean we don't have influences of, of, of heavy and other elements that have been successful. And I think you see that on this new record. Like we definitely understand loud and clear that the band, the fan base wants more of our evil rather than pop and pop evil. And the pop has always stood for that melodic and energy, that sing-along vibe of the band lyrically. And the uh, evil of course has always been our metal influence, you know, our heavy influence. And, you know, and in the situations we were in, you know, being a radio band as well, the heavier stuff wasn't, wasn't as easy to break the radio back in the mm-hmm. old days you know i mean like five finger death punch we're not getting the radio play they were now they sure. kind of changed the game for heavy music to be uh more popular you know certainly more accepted at radio you know when we first got started you weren't going to get some heavy chug stuff with 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 uh you know mosh pit breakdowns that wasn't going to be played on the radio you know mm-hmm. i mean certainly in the chart so you know you try to stretch the boundaries you're trying to always push and and uh still still respect the the the, the things that have helped this band you know radio mm-hmm. certainly been a you know we absolutely love our radio brother uh, brothers and sisters and at the same time we love what radio stands for for community you know and mm-hmm. you know uh, you know all the things finding new bands finding out what's going on and with businesses especially during covid mm-hmm. um who needs help where the money's going to be coming at what, what what people are uh are, are short of jobs and you can really grasp where your community is from radio and, and uh really get educated about you know how to help and and how to just be involved. And, and that's one thing I absolutely love about radio. It, it's, it's presence and what it stands for, for, for people's communities. And I've obviously been to a lot of these communities my whole career, and, mm-hmm. you know, now uh, being without it for a year, it's definitely something that I get more emotional about with this record. Uh, you know, we just want to make our part to hopefully, you know, give radio an opportunity to have another link with their fan base, you know, and their listeners, because we're a type of band that's going to go to your community and we're going to play acoustically at your, at your acoustic uh, show that you're holding. We're going to be mm-hmm. involved with the radio station. Uh, and I think that's something that 
is so cool about, you know, where these new generation of rock stars is, you know, it's not like we, again, are playing arenas and you don't see us ever. You just see us up on a big stage and uh, on a platform higher than everybody. Like we're better than everybody that doesn't exist with this. And I'm really grateful that, you know, I wasn't around for that era. This mm-hmm. era is taught me how, how to be humble, how to appreciate the people one person at a time for all their love and support, you know, that they do. The fact that time is money nowadays and all the stuff they have to do, but they still want to come out and support you. And, you know, the fact that they might get sick with something like COVID, but they would, I, I still, I feel like if we put on a show tomorrow, there'd be people there to see you. And it just, it's just, it's just incredible. And something that I think the older you get, you realize that this is a people business, man. This isn't about fame or any kind of glory. I mean, what are you, mm-hmm. what are you going to do with that? You're only right. as famous and glorified as the person next to you. Right. So I, I think the thing that, that you can't take away them, they can't take people can't take away from you is those faces you see on stage, that connection you have with somebody and that, that shared joint excitement for something you created. Right. It's almost like somebody telling you that your son or daughter um, uh, totally uh, changed the game in school today. They totally this kid was down and they picked him up. They gave him a, I mean, to, to someone to tell you your children are making a positive influence, that rewarding feeling you have is very similar. I would say to writing a song and having somebody embrace that something you created and seeing smiles on people's faces is, is the reward. And something that I think with COVID that you really realize just when that can be taken away from you, how powerful it does, what an impact it has on us and musicians in general but especially the rock musician and all we give and all the shows we have to put on year round to just make ends meet, you know, rock and roll and metal artists literally have to play monthly to keep the lights on for most of us, you know? So, and even successful bands like ourselves, you know, we, we, we still have to keep the lights on. There's a lot of people in mouths to feed that, that are involved in this project. And, you know, now, now having the, uh, the year off to um, really see like, wow, like this could be taken away. I really think it's really led to a, a lot of people in several ways to, those things we took for granted and not even necessarily intentional where people right mm-hmm. take things for granted. But, but now that we've taken it for granted, I think that there's going to be hopefully a resurgence of, of calm and excitement to uh, appreciate each other different. And same thing with the fans perspective, right? Like, Oh, I'll go see pop people next week. Oh, they'll be back again. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see more people now coming out every show they can, because not only the bands, the promoters, the venues need it to get back and, and get it. And I think if we educate each other as a community, rock and metal community i think that they will be there and it doesn't just start with our band it starts with all of us you know interviewers and and uh radio djs and and uh anybody who's a pioneer at the format to to just educate people that look we can all make a difference here if we just come up if you see and it starts with that community right already hey man we're going to be putting on some shows we're putting on four total shows this year i mean this month if you guys can come out i know money's tight but come out you know if you educate people how they can help I think that, 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 you know, the majority of them will, will do their best to make that happen. You know, and I think if we can help the promoter, help the venue, obviously it helps the band, then hopefully we can get back to the norms we all love sooner than later. I love all that. I love everything you just said. There are two things that really stood out to me, or, or not, well, personally, because radio, because I came from radio, I was on radio for 16 years. And I love that you really embrace that and the, and the local culture that it does bring to people, because I think a lot of people are young, like, younger gen z's don't quite understand the, <laughs> the power that radio had and and still does in in the local local communities but and going back to even what you said with with bands it, that takes a few you know it takes a long time it's a grind it's a grind i mean the band that comes to mind when you're talking about that was portugal the man i mean they had like five records out before they had that one huge you know with feel it still came out it's this massive song and it yeah, they had been grinding for you know five records prior to that um, I, I'm real, on on your new album though. Like, so 
I mean, talk to me a little bit about uh, where you guys were with COVID and then with this with this new album. Was this something that you wrote during the, you know, it's your sixth record. Is Was it wrote or written during this quarantine? Was it something you had and had to kind of, you know, pump the brakes on for a bit? No, for, for the most part, we had it done. You know, we, we had it done. We were just getting ready. I think there were maybe a couple, maybe the last one or two songs, you know, and the cool thing about this this whole project was I wanted to really focus on the demo because I feel like a lot of times when you make these demos, your buddies, your friends, your family, everyone loves some of these demos. And then you go find another producer to go record it. And then you redo all this stuff. So energy is lost. There's something as a musician that I feel, again, this is just my opinion, that when you make the demo, there's something very organic for me on as a fan too. Like, like if I knew that I was listening to my favorite band singer, let's say, uh, and, and that was his first take, that was when he birthed the song, the moment the melody came to him, the, the, the moment the chorus came together. And that was what I heard. And a lot of times I feel like with these other producers, I'll go redo it and the energy's lost. And, you know, you sit in there chasing it for, for days and weeks and, and you never really gets to the point, but you find, you know, you settle. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to change that, this album, that wherever we birth these ideas, that's what you're hearing. So a lot of the energy on this album is totally different. To me, it destroys any album we've ever done just from that alone, that whenever I, you know, if I was recording it uh, um, with this per- certain team, you know, then I would bring the band. The band doesn't, my band doesn't necessarily write lyrics that they can if they want. They, they, they certainly know that. But, but a lot of times they're like, we've been working together for so long. They understand that, look, Lee's the leader, Lee's the singer. And when he feels the themes, we do it. I mean, not every song is different, but the majority usually, you know, if I'm feeling the idea, pitch it to them, they like it great. Then as the album starts to develop, maybe different songs come in different directions from different people, different vibes. But for the most part, I usually go and see where the energy goes and it gives the band, they're smarter at, okay, let me see where our front man's going. Like, where's his perspective, you know? And then, so boom, we kind of do that. Band was really stoked about this particular early demo sessions I had. And they, they were like, wow, this is great. And so instead of redoing it with other producers, I'd fly the certain band members in at a time. Again, I really think it's a waste of time when we're all in the room for every song because there's people, a lot of sitting, a lot of crazy. So we, we tried to work more efficiently for the financial aspect of this record to make sure it was, and again, when you tour as much as we do, it's very hard to give band members time off to rejuvenate and re-energize. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, when we have only a certain window to have off, whenever I could give band members more time off, I would try to do that. So when it was their time, it's their time. But if I can give them extra time, so that's another thing I advise with other bands that they were talking to me about, you know, what's it like when you do have some success? How do you get that time? How do you recharge? Well, in the studio then, instead of making everybody suffer and sit there and wait for their time, you know, we can have, we can all, and of course the Skype thing and everyone's there and working from home if we need them. So um, it was really cool to do that this time around. Obviously different moments when we're all together are certainly great. That's usually in the next, if, if this is part one, Part two and three, you know, mixing and mastering where we can be together a little bit more in those situations. Because then if there's any, if there's any things we need to cut or add or change, we're all there and we're all thinking about the song rather than our part, you know? So it was really refreshing to have that. So a lot of things on this album, you're literally hearing as we birth them. And that's the energy that's on, them. you know, I mean, songs like Breathe Again, again, I'm talking about that because it's our one out at the moment that, that, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, that chorus is literally my, my, uh, my first couple of days in the studio and I wrote it. That's what you hear. Like, I, I don't even want, I don't even want to do it better. Even, even I could do it better or not, I don't care because that is when I birthed it. That is what I want 
for my legacy to be laid. When mm-hmm. once I wrote it and I was so, you know, I'm in, I'm high five on my boys. I mean, and, and any musician can tell you when you're feeling something, you're excited, you jump around like, Oh my God, like this is so far. They, those songs are affecting me at the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Once you perform them, they don't affect me the same way. They affect me differently now because they're not mine anymore. They're public domain, right? They're, they're ours. They're, 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 when you're at a show playing your songs, they're not yours. They're our songs together. Cause they, th- that song now has so many meanings to so many people out there. It's fulfilling so many stories for so many people. But in that moment, when I'm demoing it, it is all mine. It is that effort. It is that energy. It's that, Oh my God, like this song is, is really like what I needed. And a lot of times I feel like, uh, you know, writers are spiritual healers. I'm writing, I'm trying to listen this. I'm trying to listen to what my inner self is trying to tell me. I'm trying to feel like, what is my, what is my body? So like, cause a lot of times you get sick, you don't even realize you're sick, but your body knew you were sick weeks ago. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So a lot of times I'm trying to like close my eyes and just see what comes out. Like, what is my body? What is my brain? What, what, what's the frustrations? What is the sadness? What is the excitement that's been cooped up for two years on this last album cycle? Like what is coming out? And you know, breathe again was coming out. So that's what you hear those opening like vocal takes the opening guitar chugs like that's all as much as we could keep from the original sessions. We kept that and built on that. That was our foundation rather than, okay, this demo's fire and I play it for you. And then I record it and you're like, Oh yeah, I, I think I like the breathe again demo better. That is uh-huh. the worst. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh, I do what well, spend all this time and effort on this fucking song, man. And you don't even like, oh, fuck it. You know what I mean? And your family sometimes your biggest critics because they don't, they don't care about, whether you like them or not, they already know you love them. So it's like, sure. they'll give you straight up answer. Like, oh, I don't like, and then, you know, they'll tell you don't like the demo. It hurts. You're like, damn it. I, I've been working my ass up. I, I finally thought that I had better than the demo. And then so, <laughs> so a lot of times like this whole process was so exciting to just have different people involved and, and different producers, you know, if the energy was there, then we kept it there. We brought the band there rather than bringing these people that have nothing to do with our band to us. Mm-hmm. We came to them, kept that energy and excitement there because when you tour and when you, when you tour and play and record as much as, as we do, that the excitement is very hard to, 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 to keep. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of boredom. There's a lot of prison walls on tour buses, which we're blessed to have, by the way. So, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, but there's a lot of numbness and traveling and, and all the touring and show that is great. It's a part of it. But when you can find ways to cap, to, to capsulate the energy and that excitement, you, you, you have to do it. You have to be creative because that excitement is, uh, when you live a dream life and a dream job, it's very easy for amazing things to not be as exciting for you. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, sure. you, know, you play in front of that, there's the, you know, you play in front of that hundred thousand people. And if that's not affecting you and that doesn't get you excited, then you've got to recheck your motives here. Cause that, when is that never exciting to me? You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> yeah. obviously, that's, a, that's obviously a very big example, but there's certain examples anytime, you know, mm-hmm. when you're playing for 10 people, even if it's a small show, when should that not be exciting? Because people are coming to your show, singing your fucking songs. Like, mm-hmm. who gives a shit if it's 10? But it's hard sometimes in your head when you play in front of small shows because you're so used to just seeing bodies and heads. You know what I mean? You're right. thinking about that as a failure to people or to yourself. But the reality is in rock is people in rock don't have the extra money. Sometimes the extra venue, maybe the promoter didn't go the right way. Maybe there's tons of different variables for there not to be a packed house every night. And in rock, I don't care, unless you're playing pop tour and, and you know, you're in these arenas, you're going to play shows that are up and down. And to be able to keep that and harness that excitement for those people that are coming to you every night is very important because it's not their fault. It's mm-hmm. not their fault. If there's, if there's an area you're feeling bad or you are feeling sorry for yourself, or your project. So you have to harness this energy in these different ways to really elevate yourself and your mind to see clearly in these moments to just make it fun, man. I mean, at the end of the day, this is fun. 
It's mm-hmm. not rocket science. We can talk about anything until the cows come home, but the reality is it all comes back to, dude, just want to have fun, man. Want to have mm-hmm. fun with people who want to have fun with you. It's like showing up to the old school days we used to be a cover band playing bars. Like, we just want to have fun with people. Uh-huh. Like, I want this to be my release, like, right? All the real life happens Monday through Friday. And then when Saturday's show finally hits, you're like, I just want to have fun with people who want to kick it with me. You know, it's like that. It's like that analogy of sitting at the bar and I run into you and you just look like a cool guy and you and me are talking about the game. And I'm like, shit, you like the Pistons too? They fucking blow. Oh, do you want me to give you a shot? <laughs> I'll watch the Pistons. We talk about the glory. Day. Obviously not for Michigan, but we talk about the glory days for men. I'm like, let me buy this motherfucker a shot. I like this guy. I, I, I'm doing all this. And I never even asked you your name. Until, oh, by the way, what's your fucking name again? Oh, I like you. You know what I mean? It's just bro right. shit. People shit. That's what it is at a show. It's just like, wow, you guys like my band? You like my music too? Fuck yeah. Let me buy you all around. I'm broke, but you know what? Fuck it. Like, here's a, uh, let's play one more song then for y'all. Can we play another song? Well, let's just stay here until they kick us out. You know, it's that mentality that I learned in the cover bar days, trying to harness and have fun as a front man. Because if you want to be a front man, you want to be the man, then you better fucking understand when your family's number two and your fan base is number one. And there's moments it's hard for my family. There's moments it's hard for the fans, but you need to be able to separate that. When I remember being on my knees in prayer when I was probably 13, praying for fans one day. And guess what? The good Lord blessed me with fans. And when you have them, you don't take them for granted. When it's their time, it's important to give them and make them the number one in your life. And that's why I think it's so important, getting back to what we talked about, how to harness this energy and make sure that you're ready for them. And we wanted to do that, capsulating all that I just said. I know that I go fast, but you're putting it all in a bubble now and wanted to put an album that harnessed that energy. It wasn't about my personal life and my personal family and this and this. It was about creating energy and excitement for them, for their lives, to take this music in and say, fuck yeah, dude, thanks for the shot. Thanks for the last song. This is mine now. Thank you. And, and, and letting them do that, being okay with the fact that it's not my, I had it for a couple months before everyone knew it. Now it's yours. Run with it. You know, and I think understanding those key elements just make it more fun for me in general, whether that makes me smarter or wiser or less than the other person. I don't really care or think about that. I just know that for me, that, that, that helps me balance it and justify, you know, my work. Cause at the end of the day, there's no cliff notes for being a, being a rocker or in a band. You have to just kind of figure it out as you go and you have to make sense of it. Otherwise you go insane. There's too many people that we saw and we've lost too many people that this genre for, for depression and, and so many bad things that mm-hmm. you have to try to keep it exciting and entertaining and, and, and make sense to yourself. Sure. Is, is that going to be difficult with, with, I mean, the new record's coming out next month and like everything isn't open yet for touring and, and being around people. I mean, is it going to be hard to, to, you know, have, feel, have that same experience with this album? I, I don't necessarily think that. I mean, I think it's going to, I think you all, you have to be open to, to enjoy it when you get it. You know, you can't, if you have these crazy expectations and you don't meet your expectations, then you have failure, then it can be, hard to deal with. But when you just are so excited to get back and just be grateful for the things, which I think COVID is reminding us. Yeah. I mean, all those super crazy high fame success type goals that, that anyone has, they'd be lying if they didn't tell you they didn't have them, but whatever those are specifically is irrelevant. It's like when you really get back to the roots of it, which COVID has done, it's basically chopped all of us down at the knees and said, Hey, remember, remember what it's like to be a human being, dude. What do you need? Basic essentials. You need to fucking breathe. How about we get rid of these masks? How about you need to shake hands? We can't like hug somebody like all those basic things for a rocker. Wait, we just want to be on stage, dude. We just want to sing music. We write, we create like once you get back to doing that, it's like, wow. Like just think about how the rest of it is so like superficial. Like who cares? As long as we, you know, the, the big thing is let's just stay relevant. Let's keep putting out albums. Let's keep, you know, hopefully growing 
So the record label's happy, our managers are happy, and most importantly, our fans are happy. So we can continue to do what we love, and that's making music and playing together with the five of us that are, you know, become a family. Sure. I love that. I love that. And thank you so much, Lee, for talking with me, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, um, man. My pleasure. Yeah. I have a, one more question and actually a quick and a quick note that I just thought of when you were talking about like, you know, running, running demos by, by family and stuff. Do you still run your songs by your, your brother who, who in the, in the, you know, was the original critic yeah. of all your songs? Yeah, dude. He's pretty humble about it nowadays. He's always <laughs> like, Oh, shit, that's so fucking dope. Now he's, he's, he's definitely converted, you know, but I think in the early days it was more, I, I, you know, I had, I was on my acoustic guitar probably more than the electric. So he mm -hmm. was always wanting a little heavier, you know? So he does like, sure. no, nah, dude, we got it. And I was like, well, dude, I could, I already bought this damn Taylor. This was $3,000 fucking guitar, bro. I mean, I, right. I, and I, can't buy, I can't buy a guitar without it being the best. Right. I'm like, I can't afford that fucking Les Paul right now. Just, all right. Give me. And then, so when I finally bought my Les Paul, you know, then the song started getting heavier just naturally. And he was always <laughs> like, Oh shit. Yeah. That's fire. That's fire. So yeah, he's definitely, he's, that's a great question. That's uh. I'll tell him you said he, he'll get a kick out of it, but yeah, he, uh, he definitely, uh, he's definitely, he, he, he don't, he don't argue now. He knows the, 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 the writing is to definitely been to another level and, and you grow and you get bigger. And I probably, he's, he's got so much family and other issues now with, with what he's doing. He probably, he's like, you better just carry your weight now. I don't care. I, I know it's going to be a hit or, or we got problems, you know, so he's, he's the, definitely a lawyer with his comments these days. So, uh, good stuff. I love that. Sure. I love that. And I, and I know you've been dropping like beautiful pieces of knowledge throughout this whole thing as far as advice, but I wanted to know if you have just any direct advice to uh, aspiring artists. Yeah, man. I mean, number one, you can't, you got, you got to keep doing it. You can't, you can't be in a, you can't be into the rock world to try to try to make money. If that's your goal, then you're in the wrong. You can certainly make money, you can make a living, but you got to make a living by understanding the business side and, and, uh, getting out there. And, and, and I, what I mean by that is controlling the things you control. You're never going to control if you get a manager, you're never going to control if you get a label, but you can control kind of music. You're right. Understanding hooks, understanding instead of hating on your peers or the bands that are successful, try to try to go to those bands and understand what is it about that band that makes them successful. I always try to stop the hate. Cause I always wanted to go around it. Right. Cause the, the more I always realize, the more I start dogging those bands, I'm going to get further from my goal. They're going to get farther ahead of me. So I always was like, what are those bands doing? And whatever the bands I, I found myself being jealous or hated the most, I, I, I spent more time studying them and understanding. And, and to be honest, to this day, there's some of my favorite bands now. You know what I mean? Kid Rock was one. You know, I hated Kid Rock when I was growing up. I didn't understand that. You know, I'm like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And now, of course, Bob, I mean, and his management team, and I say that because that's so long ago. I mean, this is when Bob first came out on MTV and I was like, what is this guy representing Michigan? What is this shit? And then the more I spent time and realized how talented he was, you know, and, and I went, I remember seeing him at a show. Uh, my first show I saw him at, he, uh, he came in and played one song and someone threw an empty beer bottle at him and he flicked us all off the crowd and walked off stage after one song. So we were always like, who's this motherfucker? This is ridiculous. Wow. I remember talking, I remember talking to Bob about that, uh, obviously 10 or some odd years later. And he was sure. like, you remember that? <laughs> but I was like, I was fucking there, dude. That was insane, you know? But then, of course, as the years go on, the more I spent studying him, I was like, wow, this guy is, is insane. This guy is so talented. And so I always challenge, the best advice I get is, is, is challenge your jealousies to understand why people are successful rather than, that, rather, rather than keep the hating. Go to that band that's successful. Maybe you can tour them. Buy on their tour. Understand, get to know those people that you feel are your most competition. And, and uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, you get something positive out of that. And there's nothing about jealousy or negative comments. And, and there's a lot of that now with social media and the, uh, the um, you know, just the way we 
the America is, right? Very, the thing that makes America great is the same thing that makes it tough. We, we, all are made, we all are born to believe that we too can be the president. We too can be the successful one. But the problem is when that other person gets there or our neighbor gets there, it's not us. By default, the American way is to try to bring those people down. You know, so if that's the case, then if you ever get to the top, people are going to be bringing you down. So if you can just, again, one person at a time, we all get jealous. We all get kind of torn. We all get bummed out when we don't get successful. Everyone does it. So if you can take that and harness it and try to push it to a positive by understanding those people, maybe even befriending them, try to set up a tour, buying onto that tour with those people. Um, next thing you know, you're ahead of that other person who's hating. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Start by running your turtle race. It's not about how what you can do that Pop Evil's done or the next band's done. It's about running your story. At the end of the day, your success is success because of your fucking story, man. That's what makes it great. That's what people want to learn about. That's why a movie like Queen's background, that, that, that movie about Queen and the, 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 all the Queen movies about City, any yeah. past rock project, because people want, the story was cool, you know? And mm-hmm. if you look at any hater, there was no different that they did. They played, people hated them, people held them back, but now they got through. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of no's. Don't let it discourage you, but you got to write good music, man. You've got to write music that makes people around the world want to pay for it. Think about that concept. You know what I mean? Like, what mm-hmm. are you going to want to buy a song that someone wrote that you don't like? No, you want to buy a song that you fucking love because it's become a part of your mind. It's become a part of you. You know, like how, that's what makes so you have to write that song. And guess what? You don't write it your first time out. You have to write hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs to write that one dime. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love if writing that. songs. Is that Well, if one song was that easy, then, you know, Led Zeppelin would have wrote a hundred, a hundred stairway to heaven. They only wrote one. <laughs> you know what I mean? As good as that band is, I mean, when much, they only wrote one fucking stairway to heaven. One dude, you know what I mean? So you yeah. got to get out there and write, got to get out there and write it. Take your lumps, take your lumps and, uh, you know, just believe in yourself that you got that one gold nugget song in you. And then you just go let the crust roll in there. <laughs> 